started to be really ill. He's been like violently sick. He had a really bad headache, but he was okay. He just thought, we all thought he had food poisoning because he'd eaten something that was a bit off anyway, but he was still okay. And then he woke up on Thursday morning and he started to ask my mum for some whales and he meant paracetamol. When you got there, they knew it was something neurological that had happened, but they didn't quite know what. So they asked mum to take him to the hospital, but he was a bit wobbly at this point and he's bigger than mum, so she wouldn't have been able to manage him. So they said they'd ring an ambulance, but it wasn't down as an emergency case. So how long were you at the doctors for? About an hour, maybe. Yeah, an hour waiting for the ambulance. You just sort of go to another place, don't you? I still, do you know what? It's weird, I still feel like I'm still in coping mode. I feel like I've never come out of coping mode ever since it happens. You're, you're almost sort of like on a sense of alert. I guess at the time, as I say, because it just we didn't know it was a stroke and thought it was food poison. You just sort of go to another place, don't you? I still, do you know what? It's weird. I still feel like I'm still in coping mode. I feel like I've never come out of coping mode ever since it happens. You're, you're almost sort of like on a sense of alert. I guess at the time, as I say, because it just, we didn't know it was a stroke and thought it was food poisoning and it just kind of all took me by surprise. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear and this is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. The effects of a stroke extend far beyond just the survivor. The role of carer can often be taken on by a family member, which can be extremely stressful depending on the needs of their loved one. If you'd like to know more, search for Stroke Association, a carer's guide. In this episode, we hear from Mark Heggs and his daughter Charlotte and wife Gillian from Leicester. Mark suffered a stroke at the age of 53. Before your stroke, so what did you do as a job? Clark Works. Yes, he was a Clark Works at the University of Leicester. Yeah. And he'd worked there for 10 years. Yeah. Been in construction all of his life. Yeah. What did you enjoy doing? Playing football. Yeah, he used to play for Leicester Academy yeah. when he was younger. Yeah. Big into running, weren't he? he used yeah. To, he was very fit. Actually, before his stroke, he ran the London Marathon in 2011. 11. Half marathons most months. We'd all got black belts, haven't we? Yeah, yeah got. Yeah, I'm a second Dan Taekwondo. Really good. It was um, September 20th. I felt tired and I come home in the morning. I fell asleep all the way through. My wife told me that I kept coming and going. The 20th was the day that he was taken into hospital, but no one's actually sure when he had his stroke initially. He started to be really ill. He's been like violently sick. He had a really bad headache. We all thought he had food poisoning because he'd eaten something that was a bit off anyway. But he was still okay, and then he woke up on Thursday morning and he started to ask my mum for some whales, and he meant paracetamol. And he was just starting to get a bit confused with his words. And then he said that he had real pain in his right arm. So mum started to get a bit worried at this point and booked him in at the doctor's. And then when you got there, they knew it was something neurological that had happened, but they didn't quite know what. So they asked mum to take him to the hospital but he was a bit wobbly at this point and he's bigger than mum so she wouldn't have been able to manage him so they said they'd ring an ambulance but it wasn't down as an emergency case so how long were you at the doctors for about an hour maybe yeah an hour waiting for the ambulance a stroke had been thrown out there but they also suggested like sepsis didn't they and stuff like that they said they had no idea what it was 
But at this point, by the time the ambulance had arrived, his face had literally just fallen. So they took him in to A&E. They thought he'd been brought in with migraine, didn't they? Yeah, they didn't, again, didn't really know what it was. And it was only when he had a brain scan that they discovered it was a stroke. So at that point, it was a fairly sort of mild one, I believe, in the scheme of things. So he could still walk and talk, but they had took him up to the stroke ward. So, he, you know, he was there a couple of days. And I had a phone call Sunday morning to say that something had happened and he'd taken a turn for the worse. And so I rushed to the hospital and they said that the swelling had spread. All we could do was sit and wait. And there was some talk of him. If it didn't stop, you know, it'd have to go and sort of go to Nottingham maybe and have, you know, the pressure released. His head drilled, but didn't come to that. But by the time, you know, it all settled down, unfortunately, things had got a lot worse. And now he had to be fed with a feeding tube. He'd lost all use of his right side. Couldn't uh, talk. Couldn't talk, really. They missed that four or five golden hours where you can treat it. And so the blood clot that caused it is still on his brain to this day. You can still see it on all the scans. And he spent a month at the Leicester Royal Infirmary on the stroke ward. Three weeks. Three weeks before he got a place on the neurological rehab unit at the Leicester General Hospital, where he was there for four months. And they were really good with him. He had physio most days, speech and language therapy. It took him a while. It took him a few months to be able to remember my name properly. Bless him, he's worked really, really hard. And um, yeah, what, what did we reckon we worked what, the other day? About, about a third of a mile. Yeah, a third of a mile outside with this a, week. With a, with a with stick and with my, you know, me holding him. But crikey, that's such an amazing achievement. It's down to Mark's hard work. His right arm, he's starting to get some movement back in that. And as you can hear, he's, he's starting to get his, his communication is a lot better from being able to not being able to talk. Although Mark didn't need an operation... He was in hospital for a considerable period of time. It was quite, I do not say this, but quite horrible. It was, nurses were lovely. Yeah, yeah. You mean, you mean the experience? Yes. Yeah. yeah, it was tough because you couldn't walk or anything. No, to me. I couldn't walk, I couldn't talk. And for five months, it was bad, really. They were just trying to be realistic. They were always yeah. very encouraging. Very, yeah, very supportive. It was a lovely, lovely place. We've been fundraising for them, actually, haven't we? Yeah. To, as, as a, you know, to say thank you, because they were really amazing. He had a few day trips. So mum would bring him to watch me play football, and he got to come home for a few hours occasionally. Yeah, did an just, overnight. And yeah, and he got an overnight. That's... They were obviously amazing with making sure the house was safe. And Yeah, they came and checked all that for us. And yeah, they were very good, yeah, weren't they? they were really good. And then um, Mark came home in the middle of February and then we had carers four times a day at first sort of to help him. And then that went down to two a day about six months or so after he was home. And now we don't have any because he's really self-sufficient and so it's manageable with me and mum just being there for like the cooking or making sure he's got the stuff out to be able to do it himself or whatever it is. For Mark's wife Gillian, his stroke was a huge shock. I think you just sort of go to another place, don't you? I still, do you know what? It's weird. I still feel like I'm still in coping mode. I feel like I've never come out of coping mode ever since it happens. You're, you're almost all like on a sense of alert. I guess at the time, as I say, because it just, we didn't know it was a stroke and thought it was food poisoning and it just kind of all took me by surprise. And then you just kind of say, so, you know, it had almost happened before we knew what it was. And then, I guess by that stage, I wasn't, I wasn't really worried that we'd lose him, but I, I don't know. Stuff to worry about. There was so much. Yeah, there was. Tell me. 
because I was I was actually at Alton Towers that day because mum and I were supposed to go with my cousin um, and mum told me still to go because obviously no one thought it was anything serious and obviously didn't tell me until I got home because she didn't want me to know while I was there and then there was just we just immediately had to start thinking about the house and how we'd get him home and even before that just the logistics of him being he had a lot of issues when he was in hospital didn't they yeah he had health issues yeah he had like he kept getting infections he kept getting he got a blood clot on his lung at one point and he had real problems with his eyes and because he couldn't communicate and because the doctors the doctors were amazing but because there were so many different ones they weren't always the best at guessing what he was trying to say so like mum and I were there every day and we kind of felt like we had to be his voice. Yeah, his, uh, that's true. His eyes, he kept closing one of his eyes and we'd no idea. It was awful to see. It was so distressing for him. We kept turning, you know, everybody was trying to do their best and they kept turning the light off on the ward so that maybe light was too bright. And it turned out that it was because he was seeing two completely different pictures through both eyes. So it was like seeing double the whole time. So obviously he couldn't cope with that. But things like that I feel awful about because because he couldn't say we didn't know and it must have been awful for him and mum and I have questioned whether we missed something when he had the stroke initially but because you think we think back now and we think like the night before on the Wednesday night when my cousin came down I went into the kitchen his dad was coming downstairs and he fell into the wall as he got to the bottom of the stairs and at the time I just thought oh he's just run down the stairs too quickly and lost his footing at the bottom but you think back now and you think oh no actually maybe that was like one of the first warning signs and obviously like on the stroke adverts being sick isn't given as one of the symptoms or whatever but someone told us that that's actually a really common sign because of how violently sick he was being of a neurological problem and it's just stuff like that that we were like did we miss something almost that would have helped this get seen sooner he's terrible for just eating so eating anything isn't he and he said to me so Oh, I feel sick, he said, but I had, I had a meat pate sandwich last night. It looked a bit dodgy, but I ate it anyway. So we all kind of went, well, there you go. And that's what happens when you dodgy meat pate sandwiches. And, you know, and then, like Charlotte says, you look back and you think, oh, crikey. I'm getting better every minute. I'm better talking. I'm better moping uh, uh, now, ain't I? I didn't feel good 12 months ago, but I do now. Mark's stroke left him unable to walk or communicate, but with his determination and the constant support of his family, he's made a fantastic recovery. Still to come on Stroke Stories, Charlotte on the importance of occupational therapy. Him learning how to make a sandwich and make toast means that he can now... They've taught him how to use the microwave, they've taught him how to... And so he can make his own lunch now. Obviously, we'll support him, and we don't know use the oven or anything like that, but the fact that they've taught him how to use the fridge or how to butter a slice of bread has been invaluable. And on the kindness of friends and colleagues. People offer it in different ways. I think like we had Dad's a member of the Institute of Clerk of Works and they contacted us about their benevolent fund, didn't they? Yeah. And very very kindly paid for us to have the back door done so Dad could get out and the front door done so we could get a ramp put in. Like, so people have been doing things like that. We support each other and we're very kind of resourceful and I think we've coped very well. Let's hear how the Hex family accessed a number of different local support schemes. We had a call from the 
county council support, we had social work support, we've had physio support, occupational health, speech therapy. One day a week, I was taking Mark to a talking therapies class and also an exercise class as well, sort of for fall prevention. You know, the support's been amazing, really. We've had the physios on the NHS for a lot longer than... Yeah, 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 we, we normally get fortunate. Yeah. And we've got a private physio as well, and, and she's kept going with Zoom. So we use a laptop, and I sort of move the move the computer around so she can see his legs or whatever, so she's the exercises with him. So, uh, we've used the Stroke Association yeah, websites. Yeah, that's been very um, helpful. So, yeah, I can't fault, you know, the support. People are so kind. We're out in the county, and certainly our local kind of district council say around the these exercise classes so it's worth looking if there's any getting in touch with county council district council and finding out if they've got any of these full prevention classes because those those are great and, and they're they, not stroke they're specific really, they're no. typically most of the other people that go are typically more elderly people it's like walking on the spot rather than going for a run or something so it's yeah. perfect for stroke survivors as well if they've got that range of motion and these ones are very village based as well so they're very local aren't they which yeah. means you get to meet local people the ot's obviously the physio is very just as important but him learning how to make a sandwich and make toast yeah, means that he can now true. they've taught him how to use the microwave they've taught him how to yeah. and so now he can make his own lunch now obviously we'll support him and we don't know use the oven or anything like that but the fact that they've taught him how to use the fridge or how to butter a slice of bread has been invaluable and and also you're quite right actually and also taught us how to put systems in place so that we can facilitate that so we've created a system where we've put tins of soup in a we've got a bread bin and we put them in there next to the microwave and put a shelf that's got bowls and cups and things so that mark's got everything together and it all facilitates his independence like charlotte says to make his own lunch and how to put his breakfast out on the counter next to a chair that's out so again he can actually feel that measure of independence simple and that's things simple like things. how to shave yeah. and how to brush his teeth and yeah. him all that again that's been really amazing actually and yeah. they're still coming to see us two years on aren't they they're still the council OTs are still coming out and helping mark has made great progress but there are still things he'd like to achieve i want to keep on walking and all the things that walking i want to really get good at mm-hmm. And me arm, I want to get yeah. movement back in, which only just started last. I think it's fair to say we'll probably never get a complete sense of normality back. But stuff, we, we're season ticket holders up at Sheffield Wednesday, and we have been since before I was born. And currently, Dad's started to be able to go back this season. He didn't last season, I don't think. But Mum and Dad have to sit in a separate stand to me now because... He's, he has to go in his wheelchair because the car park's so far away. And so it'd be nice for him to be able to, he wants to be able to walk to the ground, to be able to come and sit back in his normal seat so we can all sit together. Just things like that that would give us a sense of normality back. That would be lovely. As Charlotte says, things we can do together as a family. I mean, we, we talk about creating a new normal, but actually, to a certain extent, I, I think I still hanker after the old normal and that, that would be lovely. But by also, we, we're all very positive um, we've not set any limits on what Mark believes he can achieve and what we cheer him on to achieve. So 
we just keep going. We don't set boundaries and ends. You know, if he could get back to, he's got friends at running club and they've all kind of been cheerleaders for him as well. And there's one of his friends comes and says, oh, I'll get you, you know, I'll take you running when you go Stay back. around and, the park run, even if it's in your wheelchair. Yeah, yeah. So we just, we don't set any limits. The Heggs local village has also been supportive to Mark and his family. They've been good to me. I walk around in the daytime. Around the village. Around the village. And they're all say hello, do not. Mm. So I think they first started to talk, you know, a few months ago, about eight months ago, but now take it for granted. They're always asking me how I am and what I'm doing and so on. So, yeah, they're very good. Yeah, because Mark, Mark was very well known around the village because we, we've got a dog and he was always out walking, loved walking. Uh, he's a real people person, aren't you? He loved to yeah. chat to people and uh, it's very sociable. So a lot of people knew Mark. So he's right, you know, so many people come and ask how he is. And, you know, when, when they heard, oh, he would get around the village and obviously, you know, came and asked us how he was when he was in hospital that time. So I think people are keep an eye on us, I think. Would you think that? Yeah. Well, people offer it in different ways. I think like we had Dad's a member of the Institute of Clark of Works and they contacted us about their benevolent fund, didn't they? Yeah. And yeah. very, very kindly paid for us to have the back door done so Dad could get out and the front door done so we could get a ramp put in. Like, so people have been doing things like that. We support each other and we're very kind of yeah, resourceful and but... I think we've coped very well. So I have a feeling that maybe people keep asking if we're OK and we keep saying we're OK. Yeah. I just wonder if I'd turn around to somebody and gone, I mean, I've never gone to the doctors, for example, and gone, I can't cope. And I think, you know, I, I've heard that, you know, maybe if I, we had, there would have been a lot of support there. So I'm not sure that it's not because it's not there. I think maybe we just felt we can cope. Finally, Mark, Gillian and Charlotte believe you should never give up. My advice would be keep on trying. Don't give up. I might say to you, you can't walk or you can't do this, but believe it in yourself and um, you'll soon see the reward. I think I'd just say take every day as it comes. I mean, just remembering that this isn't the person that they were before. So like when dad used to call me the wrong name or tell the doctor I was his sister or something, just remembering that that's not him and it's not that they forget who you are. And also I think, we have heard a lot more from the doctors than what they tell dad. And again, just taking that at face value. So when the physio says to us, he'll never walk again, he'll never work again, or he'll never be able to do this or never be able to do that. It's about seeing past that and thinking that they have to say that because they're going off worst case. And if he was having a bad day in hospital, it might look like that. But then the next day he's trying to talk more or something like whatever it might be that you've just got to take every day as it comes and, there really are no limits to it because I think stroke recoveries, are, they can go on for a lot longer than people think. I think that was something I didn't realise at first. I think be very kind to yourself. And if you are struggling, I would say talk to somebody. There is definitely support out there. And I think the worst thing probably is to bottle it up. So I would say 100%, you know, just talk to people. Just say that you need the support. Although Mark's stroke was very serious, the aftercare and help he received from local services, his family and friends, and the wider community has meant that he grows in strength every day.
coming up on the next episode of Stroke Stories. I have been experiencing symptoms for weeks where I would have tingling in my foot. I thought I had symptoms of vertigo, so I had trouble balancing. So on June the 5th is when it really took control where I woke up one day and I went to make a trip to the bank, which is about five minutes from my house. And my vision started to get very blurry to the point that I couldn't drive. Please do subscribe to our podcast on your preferred provider. Rate and comment on the episodes you hear to help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor with a story to share, please contact via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Listening.